0: Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Paula Witzel, thank you so much for joining us for the Mike Litton experience. I'm so excited to have you here, and I'm so humbled that you took time out of your busy schedule to spend some with us. Thank you again. So like I mentioned to you before we hit record, we know that we believe that everybody has a story and our passion is to help them tell it. So with your permission, what we'd like to do is start with where you were born. We'll go through your life story all the way up to today and we'll talk about anything you'd like to talk about. Okay. All right. So where were you born?
1: I was born in El Paso, Texas, right on the border.
0: (laughs) I know El Paso, Texas. Well,
1: yeah, so
0: So how long did you live in El Paso?
1: Well, my dad uh, uh, was in the Air Force. So he was there. So then he got transferred to Colorado. So my next brother was born in Colorado and then he got transferred back to El Paso. And so then my sister was born in El Paso. But once he got out of the Air Force, he got a degree in mathematics and went to work for RCA. So then uh, he decided to become an Episcopal priest. So we moved to Uh Berkeley. Oh my God! And, uh, he went to to seminary. Uh, he worked at the uh, Lawrence uh, Radiation Lab, which is pretty famous now because of Oppenheimer, where the atomic bomb was developed. He worked right. there while he was going to seminary, so he used his mathematical skills to uh, keep us going while he was going to school to become a priest.
0: So he, you grew up in a bunch of different cities. It sounds like.
1: Yep, and then. Uh, uh, he, uh, once he graduated, became a priest. He then um, uh, became a reservist in the Navy. Yeah. Uh, and um, after a couple of years, he decided to go active duty. So he became an active duty naval officer. And then, of course, being in the Navy, being a Navy brat, we moved around all over the place. Yeah. So, um, that's actually how I came to uh, know San Diego because uh, during this trek, he was at one point stationed in San Diego. So, um, when we were trying to decide where to go when we decided to come back from Brazil, I said, hmm, how about San Diego? That was pretty cool. So, uh, that's how we ended up back in San Diego.
0: So, okay, so we're going to get to Brazil in a minute, but where did you go to high school? Did you go to a couple of different high schools?
1: Yeah. And actually, well, um, at that point, my dad was stationed in um, uh, Naval Station there. Um, Great Lakes Naval Station.
0: Okay.
1: My Navy chaplain because he was a Episcopal priest, and so he right. became a Navy chaplain. And um, I started high school, and I skipped the last two years of high school actually. So um, I went to boarding school for one year, and then um, decided that I took the SATs and got ninety nines. And so um, at that point, they just, my parents decided that I could just skip the rest of high school, and I uh, went to. Uh, Applied for early entry into the uh, University of New Mexico. Mm -hmm. That's where I started. So you're a Lobo? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Actually, yes. How cool is that? Okay.
0: So let's talk for just a second. Let's talk about high school for just a second. So you skipped your last two years, which is pretty rare, right? And you applied to University of New Mexico and you got in. What did you study in New Mexico?
1: Well, I didn't finish, but I started studying engineering because I'm really good at math. Okay. Uh, but then I, I decided that business was more uh, down my avenue. So I switched to business. Okay. But then I ended up uh, going to Brazil. So that sidetracked that whole thing. So um, I ended up meeting a Brazilian and moving to Brazil. So, wow. Uh, And when I got to Brazil, interesting enough, they, of course, didn't understand the whole why did I skip two years of high school thing. So I actually had to go take my GED in Brazil uh, and I got a B plus in Portuguese. Wow. (laughs) I'd only been there for a year. So I got my GED in Brazil so I could say I actually graduated high school. so. So
0: So the immersion thing works.
1: Yeah, it does. It does. You don't really have a choice when uh, you can't go anywhere, can't take the bus, can't go to you know, do anything unless you speak the basics of the language. So you know, yeah,
0: order food, all the basics, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. So when you were in high school, what was your favorite subject in high school, even though you were only there a couple of years?
1: Math. I, okay. I actually got an award from the math teacher for being the best math student that had ever been in that school. And I was only a sophomore. I got so who? A, go
0: ahead. Word.
1: i got an award for math so that but i was good in other, really good in other subjects but that one math was my strong point yeah
0: gotcha so growing up who was the most influential person to you growing up
1: um uh, probably my dad okay yeah, i would say my dad um that was like quite a guy Strongest personality around and um um we used to talk to him a lot about different things about Um, you know, what made the church, the church? Why did he decide to become a priest? Because he was on a very um, solid career path with being a mathematician. Um, And so why did he all of a sudden throw everything up and move to Berkeley to get a degree, his master's in theology?
0: (laughs) That was literally my next question. So why did he decide, I was wondering if you talked to him about it, What did he tell you? Why did he decide to become a priest?
1: Uh, It's interesting because my mom told me once uh, when I was a kid that uh, he was totally anti-church. And she said they were, they grew up, my mom and dad were high school sweethearts and they grew up in the Baptist church. And she told me that he would never have darkened the doorway of a church. And uh, I think part of it uh, was he came to the realization that first of all, there's something more out there than just. And, and probably it was the math that took him there because anyone who's very into math realizes that this is not random um that there is a, a you know intelligent design out there if that's what you want to call it mm-hmm. and so he um, became very uh spiritual and religious and at the time um uh, the Episcopal Church was the closest to um being Catholic mm-hmm. um that that he could be married by that point we there were already three kids yeah so that's what he decided and i remember actually my own baptism and i remember the priest at the church in uh the episcopal church there in el paso that baptized us who was very influential on my dad and he had a big part in him making this decision yeah wow but my dad ended up actually after he got out of the navy he retired from the navy as a navy captain as a chaplain but he became a catholic priest ultimately he applied to the Vatican, and uh, Pope John Paul II uh, gave him permission, despite being married and having six kids. Yeah, uh, he was ordained a Catholic priest. So I went to his ordination.
0: Well, that that had to have been newsworthy because yeah. that was not something they ever did, right? Nope, it wasn't. I mean, I'm not Catholic, but but from my not my rudimentary knowledge of the Catholic religion, they never did that.
1: But um, I had already converted to Catholicism when I went to Brazil. Mm-hmm. So when he had called me and told me that he was, uh, he actually wanted to do this while he was still in the Navy, and they told him that if he did, that they would kick him out because you have to be sponsored by the church. And of course, if he changed and did that while he was in the Navy, then the Episcopal Church would no longer sponsor him, so he'd lose all his um, his retirement and everything. So he waited it out, and after he got out, then he applied. Mm-hmm. It took three and a half years, and um, I actually have all the decrees and everything signed by Pope John Paul II at my house because he's passed away, and so I, I inherited all that because I was Catholic. And I told him, "Well, what took you so long?"
0: <laughs> That's amazing! What an amazing story! So, so you moved to Brazil. How long did you live in Brazil?
1: Almost twenty years. Wow! Yeah. So
0: in Brazil, what did you what did you do? Were you working?
1: yes i was working the whole time um i I worked for multinationals um i you know taught myself portuguese very quickly so i could be in the corporate world and not be at a disadvantage right uh, in terms of portuguese so um i worked for several multinationals and then i uh ended up moving inland to a a state that was being split in half and they were starting a new utility company Mm -hmm. And so I went to go work for that utility company.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, that's where I worked most of the time. So predominantly,
0: <laughs> what did you do for the multinationals?
1: I was doing a lot of consulting in terms of norms and and regulations and uh, HR stuff, uh, but basically organizational. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, writing norms and regulations and how-to's and manuals and uh, technical part.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So, what made you leave Brazil?
1: Yeah, that's part of why i be, I'm a Republican because inflation <laughs> uh, no, sincerely. Uh, yeah. the uh, socialism is very strong in Brazil, okay. And uh, you know, inflation with all the monetary policies that are currently being put in place here in the United States, yeah, they had those in place in Brazil, and inflation. Uh, kicked up and got to 2,000% a year, Goodness. and I love Brazil, the food is great, I still have relatives down there, Um, I I go back every year, but I got, became impossible to live, so um, my, my husband passed away, um, so uh, I remarried a, an American who was there on the peace, had gone there originally with the peace corps he'd been there for 25 years he also worked for the public utility as well
0: okay
1: i met and he and my late husband were actually really good friends and um, so his three kids stayed in brazil and um, my three kids were younger so they came back with us yeah. we just decided we couldn't make it at 2000 percent a year yeah and so we had it. the option of coming back and so we decided to come back
0: wow that had to two thousand percent had to be really rough.
1: That's brutal. You have no yeah. idea. Inflation uh, creates such uncertainty, and you know that was our case. And and uh, you know kids were going to private schools and things, and you never know month to month the the uh, tuition would change. So you couldn't plan your life. You couldn't really regulate things. You couldn't foresee what your family expenses were going to be. And you were subject to the whims of the government and they were always changing the rules. And uh, so it was very difficult to make ends meet. So we just decided it was time to come back.
0: So I had an aunt and an uncle that were missionaries with the Baptist church in Brazil for 30 years. Yep, And they um, shared with us some of the things that are radically different in brazil versus versus here right um and it it they were they breathed a huge sigh of relief when they ended up when they ended up coming back they miss it they miss their friends and all the um you know people that are like family to them down there um but it was a it was a huge relief for them to get back here
1: well, the thing is, the Brazilian people themselves are very, very warm and right. outgoing. And I was always kind of t- wondered about that, because when I first got there, people said, no, you need to come over to my house. We need to serve you dinner. I said, you don't even know me, but that's just how they are. They're very yeah. friendly. They embrace you. They, they, uh, you know, are, are very outgoing. So that that part I really miss. And the food is delicious but it's amazing you can't deal with the government and uh, brazil had a very conservative president because they finally got fed up with all the socialism and uh, the country has you know such rich natural resources and a good economic climate they had at one time Uh, and um, it was going downhill Uh, Mm -hmm. the socialist government managed to bankrupt the largest petroleum company in the world Yeah. Because corruption is rampant and they were stealing it blind. So they elected what they called the Brazilian uh, Trump, Mm -hmm. and the time he was in office, man, the country just boomed. People were doing very well, but then the same socialist guy came back and got, they let him out of jail Mm -hmm. because he was in jail for corruption. And uh, the Supreme Court, uh, a buddy that he had on the Supreme Court uh, ruled that that he was convicted um, wrongly. Uh, well, no. That actually, they said that there was a technicality that they, when they served the search warrant, the address was not correct. So they let him out of jail so he could mm-hmm. run for president. So he was not uh, absolved; he is was still guilty, mm-hmm. but he got out of jail to be able to run for president, got elected, and now they're back where they were, you know, four years ago.
0: Going backwards.
1: Yeah, it's it's really bad.
0: Yeah. What a shame. Um, so you so you moved from Brazil to the U.S you decide to come to san diego. That's Thank correct. you so much for coming to san diego cuz we're <laughs> excited to have you here. So you come to san diego and then what happens?
1: Well, um so we're all uh, my 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 husband is a an engineer so he's looking around for work but interestingly enough no one wanted to give him a job because all of his professional experience was at a running a utility. He was at the top of the utility running uh, the utility, electrical mm-hmm. utility. It would be like SDG&E. Right. Uh, but it was in Brazil, so that doesn't right. count. So it was difficult for him to find a job. Um, I found a job with a company that eventually went bankrupt, but um, they uh, were owned by two Mexican gentlemen and a, an American. And the, one of the Mexicans did not speak English. So he thought, well, Portuguese is close enough. You can make it work. So I I made it work. So I I taught myself Spanish real quick so I could make that work, and so uh, that's where I started. And then, at that job, I met you know bankers and different people involved in that job, and they offered me a job at uh, Wells Fargo. So I went to Wells Fargo for ten years.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, my well, husband for Wells up, Fargo. Well, at Wells Fargo, I was a um, a uh, what they call um, I was like a financial advisor. Like okay. a personal financial officer so I studied got uh, took my test got my securities licenses and um, became a personal financial officer at Wells Fargo and with the person that I met at Wells Fargo who whose husband was working at um, the Navy as a, a civilian engineer uh, actually got a job for my husband and he stayed there until he retired
0: oh so my gosh
1: was working for the Navy as a in the in-house design as an electrical engineer so that's how he he was able to get a job
0: oh that's cool so you so you work at at Wells Fargo for 10 years then what happens
1: I left Wells Fargo and um went decided to uh go into real estate so I got my real estate license with a, a buddy that I had known while I was actually at the very first company and um So then after a couple of years, I decided to go off on my own. So then I got my broker's license and my son was in at USD at the time and he was getting ready to graduate. So uh, I put him to work in real estate before he graduated. So by the time he graduated, he was already full speed and we started our own uh, brokerage.
0: That's awesome.
1: Uh, um, And he and I still are uh, working together to this day.
0: That's awesome. So how long have you owned your brokerage?
1: since 2004 okay um yeah 2004 yeah
0: so it's been a it's been quite a quite a little bit of time yeah so was, what's your favorite it's thing the
1: ride up and down the- yeah
0: yeah no kidding especially right now right yeah, so yeah. so what was your what's your favorite thing been about owning your own brokerage
1: the freedom to come and go
0: yeah
1: yeah um because in Brazil, since I uh, worked for the utility company and then I was doing consulting work actually for uh, other um, government agencies, mm-hmm. because I got to be, my late husband was a, a very well-known consultant. And when he passed away, I inherited the consulting business part of it. Okay. And so um, um, I had the freedom to kind of come and go as I needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so coming back and being regimented at, with Wells Fargo for 10 years, that was, um more challenging because you you have to be in a certain time, you have to stay a certain time. You're you're even though I was a personal financial officer and tickling, I didn't uh punch a time clock, but you do have branch hours and that sort of thing. Yeah. Being on my own and a lot uh, you know, because you end up working more actually, but you have the ability to schedule your own time. And so that was that freedom. I, I like that freedom.
0: And the opportunity to work with your son's gotta be a big deal too. Yes, That's yes. gotta be awesome. Yeah. My daughter just came to work with us about a month ago, and uh, she's 23, and I, I've i loved every second of it. She came to work with us, and within a day, she was going to my wife and saying, you know, mom, I think the top of my head's going to blow off. Dad's a lot, right? And so she's like, I know, honey, I know. It'll, it'll get better. It'll be okay, right? Don't
1: worry. You'll get it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And a couple of weeks later, I come home, and she's like, dad, I love you, but what you do is boring.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know about that because the market's always changing because we went through 2008 yeah and now we're going through this one which is actually worse yeah so yeah
0: 2008 i owned a keller williams office and i had almost 200 agents in it and it was um it was quite a it was quite an experience so Yeah,
1: no, i can imagine
0: yeah you had to you had to do everything you could to get scrappy and make it through and we did by the hair of our chinny chin chin, but we made it through. That's
1: right. That's right. So,
0: yeah, it was crazy. So, um, so you own your own brokerage. Yes. An opportunity came up a few years ago for you to take a leap of faith to an extent, right? And do you want to talk about that leap of faith that you took?
1: Uh, are we talking about politics? We're talking
0: about politics.
1: Well, and 2008, actually, I was asked by uh, a fellow broker if I because she knew I was Republican, um, and, and that's actually a story. When we came back from Brazil, my husband and I, we didn't know. I had never voted, because I'd left when I was young, so I, I never had registered to vote.
0: Yeah, you were in college.
1: Yeah, so I never yeah. voted. I had never registered. So we came back. We were like, okay, so what are we going to be? And I said, well, uh, you know, everybody tells you, well, if you're for the underdog then you and the common man, then you should be a Democrat. I said, mm-hmm. okay. And then I said, well, let me read the platforms first before we register to figure out, you know, really what we what we want to register. So I I actually got the platforms and read them. And I remember coming home and telling my husband, oh, there's no way in hell we're going to be Democrats. We are registering Republican and that's that. When was that? Republican ever since. So when was that? That was in 1989. Okay. okay? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, in 2008, I joined a Republican women's group down here in South Bay, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they asked me to start um, helping with legislation, writing articles about legislation. That was about the time Obamacare was coming uh, to fruition. So I wrote a lot about the downside of uh, universal health care because they have universal health care in Brazil. So I'd seen it personally, and it was not good. And... um, And from there, then, uh, I was asked to write for the county Republican women's group. And then um, I uh, was an alternate for the Central Committee, a Central Committee member, Mm -hmm. who she ultimately uh, moved out of state. So then I uh, was able to take her spot. The caucus voted me in. And from there, then... um, it's one of those cases where every time they ask you to do something, you don't how to say no. So first um they asked me to uh, uh do communications. I said, okay. So then I said, Well, what does the community well, you know, uh, let's let's do a, a county newsletter. I said, okay. So uh the ideally it was supposed to be everybody was supposed to kick in, but in the reality, um nobody kicked in. So I ended up writing the uh, county newsletter by myself for three and a half years. Oh no! And so then from there, the the county chair asked me to um, be secretary. So I was secretary for a year. And then he said, well, do you want to do that again? Or do you want to do something? I said, no, I want to do something else. I don't have to do minutes. Uh, I became the second vice chair for a couple of years. And then he had already, uh, the previous chair had already been there. For 14 years. And so he was ready to move on. So um actually after a one of the Trump boat parades, he took me aside and said, Hey, I don't want you to give me an answer right now, but think about it. Uh, I'd like you to take over when I when I leave. And I said, Oh, I don't know, that's that's a that's a big job. And I was totally not expecting it because I wasn't doing any of this for anything other than to help. Right. So- I had no aspirations and leadership. I had no aspirations in doing anything other than just helping the Republican party. So um, I thought about it for a couple of months. I came back, I had a few conditions and I told, okay, fine, I'll do it. So then in January of 21, uh, at the uh, organizational meeting that we have every two years to elect the board and the officers and that sort of thing, um, I was elected chair.
0: Yeah, congratulations. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's what I that's where I've been. That's what my life has been since then, because yeah. it it's all consuming.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. Um, Tony is one of my favorite people. And yeah. I think he did a bang up job for 14 years. I know he's still involved and all that, but um, I think he well, did that was
1: actually one job. of my conditions because when I went to Kotack, I said, Okay, I'll do it, but you can't just disappear. You yeah. can- got too much institutional knowledge yeah. so i asked him to stay on as chairman emeritus yeah. so um he helps and uh he's always a sounding board something comes up and i just need another an opinion so he's been very helpful very helpful.
0: there's very few people in san diego county that are as connected as he is oh, in, inside the party you know
1: 100 okay. percent uh
0: yeah i can i can that was very smart of you to do that um you know it's um he's, he's amazing. So, um, I'm obviously one of his biggest fans. So, um,
1: so,
0: I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, so we're up to today and your brokerage is going well, you're working with your son, you're enjoying yourself. You're the, you're the chairwoman of the, of the San Diego County Republican party for the last couple of years. Um, actually going on three years, right. Coming up month three. after next, it'll be yeah. three years. Um, so what's next for you? What, what, what are we working on now? What's coming in the future?
1: Well, um, um four five years ago, four years ago, we started a mortgage bank, which we recently had to um, uh, terminate uh, suspend banking operations because with the current economy and and you know, with the loans and stuff. So we went back to just brokering. So we're involved in the revamp of that. That's mm-hmm. a lot of regulatory because we were licensed in like 40 states. So you, every state has different rules. So it's, yeah. that's quite a, a big, um, big job big. To, try to, um, revamp everything and, um, you know, go through the regulatory process. That's not easy. Yeah, not but, easy. Um, as far as, so that's what I'm doing professionally, but, um, As far as the party, we're getting geared up, really. I mean, the focus right now is on 2024. Uh, We have some important elections coming up, and that's where we want to um, uh, center our energy on. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's a lot of talk of uh, the federal races, but reality for us here in San Diego County, what we are focused on are the local races. Right. Uh, We have two supervisorial races coming up. We have Supervisor Joel Anderson, which we want to get reelected. Mm-hmm. And then we have on the coast, um, we have uh, Mayor uh, Kevin Faulkner running for that uh, supervisorial district on the coast. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it, it, it's not that easy because uh, with the redistricting, the lines have changed. So when Supervisor Anderson was originally elected, he was pretty much East County uh, rural. Uh, unincorporated area. Now he's got a big chunk of the city of San Diego. So um, he is actually going to have a, a, you know, a challenging race. So Mm -hmm. we can't take anything for granted and we don't. Uh, Working hard and we're going to make sure that he gets across the finish line. And then uh, the opportunity for the district along the coast, um, which Tara is currently the supervisor Mm -hmm. and Um, she's very left-wing and not very popular Um, we we did some polling and we know that that because uh, mayor Faulkner was mayor of San Diego twice plus he had been on the city council twice so he has good name recognition Mm -hmm. in the city of San Diego and he did a good job in San Diego so we we know that he has uh, um, a really good uh, he's positioned well to take yeah. that race but again you can't take anything for granted it's going to require a lot of work um so those are the two biggest races because they're going to impact all of san diego county yeah. no matter where you live if you live in chula vista or escondido it doesn't matter because um having the republicans in charge of the um, board of supervisors for the county of san diego is a game changer for, for San Diego. Yeah. Uh, we've seen where a SANDAG has come up with these crazy ideas where they want to charge you uh, vehicle mileage tax, which is a tax per mile that you drive. Right. And San Diego County is bigger than a lot of European countries. And can you imagine having to pay for every mile that you drive? And uh, they, you know, we've worked hard to get that sidetracked. But um, with the supervisors and, it in charge. We have uh, we were able to get uh Jim Desmond re-elected. So if we are able to get um mayor Kevin Faulkner elected and re-elect uh supervisor Joel Anderson, then rational, sane people will be in charge. And so we can um we can not implement some of the crazy ideas that uh, Sandag was coming up with because there since Um, they were not successful at getting the vehicle mileage tax through. Now they're coming up with other ideas to increase the taxes. So they're not done. They just were temporarily sidetracked. And we need to uh, make sure we're in charge of the county. But again, because of SANDAG, we also have some important municipal races coming up that will only be in November, whereas the supervisor's race will be on March 5th. Right but the municipal races will be in November, but we have city council races in uh, the city of Oceanside and we have city council races in the city of Chula Vista. Mm-hmm. Chula Vista is important because in the world of San, Dek, San D- the city of San Diego and the city of Chula Vista are weighted votes because they have larger populations. Mm-hmm. So their vote is worth more than the vote, for example, of um, Vista. Mm-hmm. For example. So um, it's important that w- we take charge of these cities, so that the SANDAG rep for those cities is a Republican, and can, um, you know, put into place rational, sane, uh, consumer-friendly policies that will help the county instead of uh, setting it backwards. Because the gentleman who, well, up till now is in charge of, who's the executive director of SANDAG. Hassani Krata, if you can believe it, got his, he's Iranian, he got his undergrad and master's degree from the University uh, of Moscow in the USSR, during the USSR times, and his specialty was central planning. And that's who we have running Sandex. So obviously, he's all for uh, getting people out of their cars and into trolleys and buses. And so he, you know, they passed the Sales tax increase some years ago, with selling it to us as um, a means of improving the commute, the mm-hmm. commute in our cars. I uh, remember the that. Yeah. Carter was one of the projects that they were going to do. Um, they didn't do any of that. Yeah. And that original sales tax increase was for ten years. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it came, it was getting close, like to nine nine years coming up. And it was going to expire and they hadn't done any of that stuff. They did a lot of bike lanes and things like that. They uh, they extended the trolley line, but they did not do the freeway improvements that they had promised when they sold us the idea of doing the sales tax increase. Um, so it was getting set to expire. So San, uh, Sandag, uh, under the direction of Hassani Krata, came back and said, okay, well, we're going to need to, uh, we're going to ask the voters to extend that sales tax increase. Uh, only this time, instead of being for 10 years, it's for 40 years. Four Whoa. years. And the voters don't pay attention and they voted it in. So now we have that sales tax increase in place for another um, 38 years, 37 oh, years. Goodness. And so, again, they're not using the sales tax revenue that they promised us that they were going to use for. Roads and and highways, they're using it for ba- bike lanes. They're mm-hmm. using it for the extension of the trolley line up to the UTC. Um, they're using it for buses, you know, the express bus lines. Mm-hmm. They are not using it for the 78 corridor or any of the other traffic and freeway improvements that they had a, they had promised us. So. Um, it's so vital for San Diego for our well-being for the happiness of just the general population our gardener travels across San Diego County to get to his work mm-hmm. um, and and this all these things make his life miserable you yeah. have to go through this horrible traffic which was promised to be resolved 10 years ago mm-hmm. and we're still dealing with it because they didn't uh, they did not. Uh, do what they promised us. Yeah. But they're still taxing us. That that That's for sure. So these are all really, really important for San Diego County that these little races like in Oceanside and Chula Vista and the bigger races like Supervisor uh, Joel Anderson and um, the District 1 Supervisorial, supervisorial Race that um, Mayor Kevin Faulkner's uh, running for, that we take those back because then uh, we can put some sanity back in San Diego County. Yeah. It's not that difficult, actually. It's just we have to stop being uh, woke and being more focused on really what's good for the people Yeah, and and our lifestyles. We are, you know, we're not Europe, so we don't uh, run our lives on the trolley line. I mean, mm. that's just a fact of the matter. You, San Diego County is difficult to get around without your car. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So uh, making all the improvements on mass transit and ignoring the freeways is not for um, betterment of our quality of life. I agree with that. Oh, important issues. The other two important races we have coming up, but we have two judicial races uh, coming up. Um, And uh, we've got very good candidates for those two races. Um, And... um, you know, if we didn't realize how important judges are, mm-hmm. I think the last several years have taught us that having just—and it's not necessarily partisan—it's just having someone sane, common sense, feet on the ground, normal in these judge races um, really has an impact on on just normal things here in San Diego County. So those are also two races that we're focused on uh, getting our people across the the finish line um so those are all important things and the mechanism behind getting all that everybody on board with all this is is uh, daunting
0: (laughs) yeah to say the least right so so i drive three to four thousand miles a month inside san diego county
1: so that, that
0: that vehicle mileage tax really got my attention right so it's just another thing that they're coming up with where they're trying to tax us. And it's just awful. It's absolutely awful. And this agenda that they're pushing is not in our best interest, I don't believe.
1: No, it's not. And the thing is, is that um, unfortunately, San Diego County is being used by the left as our as a trial balloon. So mm-hmm. the whole idea was if they managed to get the vehicle mileage tax through San Diego County... And it, and it flew, they got the voters to buy off and it not not realizing what they were voting for mm-hmm. because the ballot titles are always misleading, then they were gonna do it statewide. And if, as California goes, goes the rest of the country, then they were gonna spread it. So we were kind of like the trial balloon. So it's so important for San Diego County, but for the rest of the state and the country that we were able to detonate that effort yeah. uh, so that that's not something that becomes the norm across the country.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I was at a I was at a Chamber of Commerce uh, meeting the other day and Mayor Dane White reported in that this thing had been killed and it was official and all that kind of thing. And uh, there were a lot of people in that room that are business owners that were very, very happy with the result of what he was talking about. So, um, you know, I I Dane has been um, on our podcast. We We interviewed him yeah. a couple of months ago. And um, he has an amazing story and um, it was, it was great to have him come on and tell that because I know that he inspired and motivated a lot of people. And I promise you that's exactly what you're doing. There are a lot of people out there that will hear your story and they'll be inspired and motivated to go out and start their own business, to go out and, and volunteer to run organizations like the San Diego County Republican party. We're so incredibly blessed that you decided to, take Tony up on his offer, and to do this, it's really, really important to have you in the position that you're in for us as Republicans, but for San Diego's period. And I really, really appreciate the fact that you're doing this, and I cannot thank you enough for coming on this, on our podcast with us. Is there anything that you'd like to talk about before we wrap up?
1: Yes, actually, um, I just want to make sure that everybody understands what's at stake. And we can no longer afford to sit on the couch and yell at the TV and be unhappy with things that are happening. The only way to make these changes is we all have to step up. And I know not everyone can do it as much as I'm doing. This is my way of giving back to the community, but everyone can contribute to the measure that they are able. So you can either just walk your neighborhood or you can make calls to Mm -hmm. help a candidate pick a candidate. It doesn't matter. Pick one that you like, that you believe in, in in your neighborhood or or here in San Diego County, and help that candidate get the word out so people understand what's at stake. Or if you're not able to do that either, then write a check. Mm -hmm. Write a check either to the party to help us keep everything, the wheels going, or write one to one of your favorite candidates. Because unfortunately, this process does require resources. So um, you know, it helps your candidate get across the finish line, but I would implore everyone, we can no longer be um, on the sidelines, we can no longer pretend like we don't really know what's going on, uh, because we're seeing the impacts of people not getting involved. And you can't complain after the fact, you have to be involved before everything takes place. So I would ask that everybody, uh, please get involved. We we're really active on trying to get our precinct operations up and running, and we're going to be doing actively ballot harvesting and uh, door-knocking precinct ops um, so that we can get the word out. And, um, you know, Republicans typically don't like doing this kind of thing. And a lot of people complain about the ballot harvesting. But unfortunately, those are the rules that we have here in the state of California. So we need to play by the rules that we have. And these are the rules. So we're going to be actively um, working with uh, different community groups, with the churches in ballot harvesting, so we can make sure that everyone understands what's at stake and participates.
0: Yeah, and it really... You make a great point. It really does come down to what you can do, right? So that that RSV thing that was going around, that chest that chest um, congestion thing that was going that virus was going around. I got that right before this last election and I was recovering from it and it it took a little while. It took longer than normal to get that stuff loosened up and get it out and I was still having coughing fits but I and I didn't want to be around people because I didn't know what my immune system was like, but I did want to contribute. I didn't want to have you know an impact. So I did call the Republican Women's Federation and they told me because I told them, I said, I, I want to help. I want to you know, I can make calls. Right. I, I can't go someplace necessarily, but, you know, I can make calls. Yeah. So I sat. they sent me a list. They said, you know, Joel Garcia is fine. And Escondido, he's good to go. But, you know, Dane White's way behind. And so they they put me together with Joel. Joel put me together with Dane. Dane and I talked on the phone briefly. He got together with his campaign manager and sent me a list. And I made several hundred phone calls for him right before the election happened, like three, four or five days, right? I did what I could. And that's really what I feel like is, is most important, is people, like you said, people will sit and they'll yell at the television, but then they won't really do anything to to help move the needle and if everybody just does a little bit if they just do what they can right even if it's your neighbor can't drive themselves to the polls or you or you go and pick up your neighbor's ballot and you and you bring it to a you know to a to a place where you can drop it off those types of things i mean every little bit helps every little bit helps and everybody needs to get involved and you're not joking this is an all hands on deck moment this is as good as it gets.
1: And, and uh, you know, the reason why we have Gavin Newsom instead of Larry Elder right now is because the gap between Larry Elder and Gavin Newsom was the number of Republicans that sat at home and pouted yeah. and did not vote. Yeah. So we cannot afford to do that any longer. Um, yes, we're outnumbered, but we're really not outgunned because if we all step up and Republicans all vote, uh, we can we can bring it home, but we have to do it. We have to step up. We have to get involved. We have to do our part, no matter how big or how small. Yeah. Everyone contributing, we can get it done.
0: Yeah, and it's not, you know, I I agree with what you're saying. And here's something that I would also suggest. We don't have to be completely livid in order to vote. <laughs> That's not necessary, okay? We don't have to let this thing let this thing metastasize to a point to where we end up usher. I mean, we have, we have elected Republicans in this state before it has happened. Look at Ronald Reagan, right? One of my favorite Republicans. I'm a Republican because of Ronald Reagan and the effect that he had on me at an, at an impressionable age, right? You know, this is something that I think people need to think about. We don't need to be completely, mad and livid and and you know beside ourselves in order to get up off the couch and do something in order to get involved in order to make a difference in order to do what we can in our little little neighborhood there was a very wise man that once said if you want to change the world start your own your own little corner of it right that's what i would implore people to do start in your own little corner okay talk to your neighbors get involved right do what you can do I totally agree and thank you so much for saying that. That okay. really means a lot. And I cannot thank you enough for being here. I know how busy you are and I know it was difficult to get us scheduled and all that. I cannot thank you enough for for taking out taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. And thank My you pleasure. for being our guest on the Mike Litton Experience.
1: My pleasure. My pleasure.
0: But for your so
1: you vote, we got to get these Republicans across the finish line.
0: Absolutely. And like we need to vote early. Okay? The other side's doing it. We need to vote early and we need to get the people around us to get up. Off, like you said, get up off the couch, stop yelling at the TV and get, get in there, right? Get in the game. Yep. Let's get going. All right. <laughs> I appreciate you. Thank, Thank you, you so for much. Having me. Have a good day today. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com Rio760.